Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And by the help of the Lord, I just want to preach to you on this subject tonight. God is able. Would you tell your neighbor, would you tell them, would you declare it, God is able? And then turn and tell one more person, tell them God is able. Can we lift up our voice one more time and ask the blessing of the Lord upon this time we have together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I ask in Jesus' name that you would have your way in this house tonight. Move in our midst. Lord, let your mighty power, let your spirit move deeply, mightily among us. Perform miracles in this house and let your will be accomplished in Jesus' name. The church together said amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. The first president of the United States of America, George Washington, was overwhelmingly selected for the position of presidency. He has become known as the father of our country. And he understood something about the enormity of the task becoming not only the president of the United States, but the first president of the United States. One of the things that he so keenly understood was that everything he did was going to matter because not only was he the head of state, but he was the first, and he would set a standard with every decision that he made. So he made very deliberate decisions when he was president because he understood the influence that he would have on those that would follow him in that role. One of the things he did, for instance, was that he decided he would only seek two terms in office because they were very cautious about ever giving power to a king to rule over the nation as they had experienced in times past. So he said, I'm going I'm to allow myself to serve this one term and then a consecutive term, and those two terms will be the only terms that I'm going to allow myself to serve. And then I'm going to make way for another leader to step in. And really, it was great wisdom because they were setting a standard, an example that we could reference back to even today. And so much of our world and our society operates on the basis of standards, and they can be found in every field. For instance, a judge is looking for a legal standard. When he has a case presented to him, he or she will search the records and the law books and the law journals to see what examples might exist to identify such a ruling. And then their ruling will be determined often by the standard that has been set. If the standard itself is not faulty, then the standard, it's going to carry the day. And the lawyer knows this and brings this before the judge because he knows the weight that a legal standard carries. In the medical field, it's the same. If you bring symptoms to your doctor, they'll look at those symptoms and they'll compare them to previous examples of similar symptoms and histories of medicine and treatments for similar sicknesses. And they'll say, this is how we're going to treat this because these symptoms are telling us something they've told us before. 
This isn't the first time we've ever seen this. We have other examples that have taught us how we should deal with this. And there's a medical standard that we can refer to to help us know what medicine might help treat these symptoms. And really, it's that way across any field that you choose tonight. Even as a pastor, I find myself often searching for examples or references. If somebody brings something to me, I'll hear what they're saying. And immediately, my mind starts searching and researching for experiences that I've had in the past when I think, you know, it seems like I've heard this before. And I can tell them, I know somebody that has been through something similar to what I'm hearing right now. And I can tell them, I want you to know you're going to make it out all right. And I've had people tell me, I'm just not sure if I can beat this, Pastor, because this issue and this problem and this addiction, it just runs in my family. And my response to them is, well, maybe so. But that does not have to be your story because you can rise and say, you know, it ran in my family until it ran into me. Amen. And I can let them know. I've seen people face these kinds of challenges before and I've watched God be faithful to them and I want you to know that God God's going to be faithful to you. Amen. Amen. And I want them to understand you're not alone and you're not walking this path by yourself. And I know people that's walked this path before and I've seen them experience this kind of a challenge in their life before. And even in the opposite sense, I can tell them, listen, let me give you warning tonight to be careful because we've seen people go down the wrong path before. And so there's examples for both of those instances. The Bible speaks about it this way. It calls it a testimony. A testimony. How many of you thank God you got a testimony? I thank God for every testimony that's represented in this house. Every individual who can stand and say, I've been through the fire, but I don't smell like the smoke. I've been through some struggles, and I've been through some trials, and I've been through some storms, but I don't look like what I've been through. We ought to declare with our mouth the word of our testimony. Amen. Can I remind somebody in this house that we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. If God's been good to you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the healed say so. Let the redeemed say so. Amen. Let the delivered say so. We are witnesses to the miracle work and power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I've got a testimony. And it's so encouraging when you stand in the house of God and you know someone who's been through a fiery trial. And you know they've been through that thing and they came out on the other side. And they say, let me tell you what I learned through that experience. I learned that God hears and answers prayer. I learned that in the middle of the storm, that when you feel so low, God can raise you up and set you on a sure foundation. There is encouragement that comes from your testimony. And I realize that most of us are going through something even this very moment. But let me remind you to look back over your life and remember the goodness of God in the land of the living. Let yesterday's victories give you faith for today because you've been here before. You've needed a miracle before. You've needed an answer before. And what seemed like a detour was actually a direct route to the purpose and the plan of God for your life. 
So make up in your mind, I'm going to lift my head and I'm going to finish this race because when I look back over my life, I realize he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. So why would I doubt him now? Is this okay? This lapel all right? Amen. If I need to do a handheld, you just bring it to me and I'll preach with a handheld. I'm going to tell you, when you look back over your past, you can remember God's brought you to where you are today. You've got some previous examples in your life. You've been here before. If you've got a need tonight, let me remind you, you've needed something from God before. This ain't the first time you've needed something from God. Amen. So I can look around at all of the trouble and all of the difficulties and I can count it all joy. Why? Romans 5, 3 through 5. But we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience worketh experience and experience worketh hope and hope maketh not Ashamed. Sometimes when we're experiencing tribulation, we don't know what that means and we get a little uncomfortable with it. But you just hang on. You just keep being faithful to God. You just let that thing work itself out because the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, wanting nothing. Because that patience is going to create an experience in you. And that experience is going to be an experience of God's delivering power in your life. That experience is going to be an experience of God's healing power. And when you experience that, it's going to give you hope. Hope for every future trial. Hope for every future crisis. And hope maketh not ashamed. In other words, you're never going to regret putting your faith in God. You will never feel like a fool because you hoped in the Lord. So you let them mock you. You let them make fun of you for trusting God because when the smoke clears and the dust settles, I thank God I trusted him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. David said to King Saul, I hear that uncircumcised Philistine out in the valley of Elah. And he's threatening the armies of God's people. And he said, I can take him. You just let me at him. I can take him. And Saul said, every man here is hiding. What makes you think you can take him? He said, because I've got some previous examples. And I've got some previous experiences with tribulation in my life. I've been through some stuff. And it's developed hope in my heart for whatever may come next in my life. And that's what we need tonight, young people. That's what we need tonight, elders. That's what we need tonight, moms and dads. We need some hope in our heart because we've been through some stuff. We've got some experiences that's telling us, hey, the same God that brought you through that can bring you through whatever you go through next. Let me at him. Because I've got some experience with tribulations in my life. And it's developed hope in my heart. Thank God for those tribulations in our lives that work patience and experience and hope. I want my, my helpers to come up here and help me real quick. Y'all want them to help me real quick. Amen. Thank God for those examples that work patience, experience, and hope. All right, come on. Y'all line up. Y'all line up. One right after, there you go, come on. Come on, come on, my final guy, come on over here. All right, y'all give me some resistance. Come on, pushing one on another, let's go. All right, see David, well, good Lord, have mercy. All right, 
Y'all are doing a great job. <laughs> David, David had some problems in his life. But see what what David had is he had an encounter with a lion. And David said, you know, there was a day when I was taking care of the sheep and a lion came in on the fold and the Lord gave me victory over a lion. And then there was a day I was facing a bear and that bear came in, but God gave me victory over that bear. And so I know because of some experience in my life that the same God, the same God, that gave me victory over the lion and the bear is going to give me victory over this giant. Hey, I don't know what you've been through in your life, what sickness you might have faced, but the same God that brought you through last time is going to bring you through this time. I don't know what storm you've been through, but the same God brought you through that storm. Take you through this storm. I don't know what circumstance you're facing today, but the same God that brought you through that circumstance can bring you through that one. And at some point, you got to look behind you. Come on, come on. And realize, I've got some stuff pushing me forward. I've got some hope. When I look back at where the Lord has brought me from, it's telling me I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be all right. Thank God. Thank God for those experiences that work patience in our lives and give us hope. Thank you. All those tribulations. Amen. You're looking at them the wrong way. You need to count it all joy because all those tribulations are working hope. Hope for what? Hope for the next thing I go through. Because the same God that brought me through that and that and that is going to take me through the next thing. See, David had hope for the future because he already had experience in his walk with God. Look at Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Brothers and sisters, you don't need to fear anything other than God. Because fear and anything other than God is idolatry. Just like worshiping anything other than God is idolatry. The Bible says the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of knowledge. And listen, if you'll fear God, you ain't got to fear anything else. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then he describes an event that happened to him in his life. Look at verse 2. He's thinking back to a moment in time when his enemies and his foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. He said, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just going to tell you what happened next. They stumbled and they fell. They were about to devour me, but they stumbled and they fell. They were so close. They were closing in. They were going to eat up my flesh, but something tripped them up and they stumbled and they fell. Now that really happened. That was an experience in David's life. That really happened. And because that happened, he said, now let me talk about the hypothetical. Verse 3. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should ever rise against me, in this will I be confident. See, you don't know what might rise against you in your future, young people. And you don't know what host might ever encamp against about you. But don't let your heart fear. Because you've got example after example that when the wicked and your enemies and your foes came up, on your trail they stumbled and they failed 
So go ahead and fight that lion and win. Go ahead and fight that bear and win. You never know when you're going to walk out into a valley and fight a giant that everybody else is running away from. But you're not afraid because you have an experience and you got a testimony and you can say, hey, I've been here before. I know he's a healer. I've been here before. I know he's a peace speaker. Hey, I've been here before, and I know that God is able to do exceeding, abundant, above all we ask or think. So I'm not afraid of the lion. I'm not afraid of the bear. I'm not afraid of the giant because I have example after example after example that I can look back in my life. And really, a lot of us, we got more pushing us forward than we got coming against us if we just take time and remember the goodness of God. Those great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they're listed one right after another, and there's so many beautiful truths associated with their lives. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, and so on. On and on, and time would fail me to tell you, the writer finally said, of all those who faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and quenched the violence of fire and stopped the mouths of lions, that then they faced such heavy persecution of whom the world was not worthy. And then the writer said in Hebrews 12 and 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let me tell you, that's a legal term. And what does a witness have? A witness has a testimony. We are compassed about with such great a cloud of witnesses. People that have been there. People that have done that. People that have been through that lion's den. People that have been through that fiery furnace. And they come out of that whale's belly. Amen. They've been through it and they came out all right. And now they're in that great cloud of witnesses saying, you can make it. You can make it, young lady. You can make it, young man. He's a faithful God. You just keep on walking with God. We are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Paul said these things are an allegory. They were real lives lived by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But while they're living out their life, God was using their life to teach all of us. And it's teaching us you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. Let me ask you, who's receiving instruction from the life you're living right now? Understand that it's going forth as a lesson. Whether it be a good example or a bad warning, your life is teaching others how to act or how not to act. So make sure you're leading others the right way, not just by what you say but what you do because there's power in your experience. There's power in your testimony. Amen. King Hezekiah received the word from the Lord, from the Isaiah the prophet, and he was sick. And he called to the prophet Isaiah and he said, listen, I'm sick. Please, please give me the word from the Lord. Give me some hope, man. And the prophet Isaiah walked into his room and he said, hear you the word of the Lord. This sickness is unto death. You're not going to live. You're going to die. And King Hezekiah was devastated and he turned himself to the wall and he started praying to God. And he said, Lord, have mercy upon me. Look upon my life and have mercy upon me. He cried out to God with such passion from the depths of his spirit. Listen, it was the will of God for him to die. But he cried unto God and asked God to have mercy on him. I want to tell you something tonight. It's never wrong to pray the prayer for the will of God. But sometimes we resign too quickly and say, well, this just must be the will of God for this thing to happen. Listen, don't you ever stop praying. Yeah. 
Don't you ever stop praying. You keep on believing that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think, regardless of what things look like right now. Regardless of what the report is right now. Hezekiah heard the word from the Lord. It's God's will. You're going to die, man. This sickness is unto death. And he turned his face to the wall and he said, God, have mercy on me. And something happened very unusual. God was like, all right, all right, Isaiah, go back. You go on back. I'm going to tell you, listen, that service was over. Isaiah had already preached. They were already at the Mexican restaurant. And God said, hey, go back to Hezekiah because I got a new word for him. I want you to speak a new word into his hearing. And Isaiah walked into that room and he said, God's got a new word for you. He's going to deliver you from this sickness. You cried unto him and he heard your prayer. I'm come to tell you, don't you ever stop praying. Don't you ever give up on praying. When you feel so beaten down, when you feel so hopeless, like there's nothing else that could possibly go wrong, so it must be the will of God. Don't you ever stop praying. You call unto him because he is faithful and he will hear your faintest cry. So Isaiah said to Hezekiah, this is going to be a sign unto you that the Lord heard your cry. He's going to heal you. The sundial is going to go back 10 degrees. And what a miracle that was in its own right. But it wasn't the first time it happened. There's other examples for that whole experience of God doing things with the sun that the sun don't normally do. There was a day when Joshua was called upon by the Gibeonites who were surrounded by five kings and armies and the Gibeonites were under assault and they needed help. And they called upon Joshua and the children of Israel to come and help them. And when Joshua walks out there, he goes down in the anointing of the Lord to wage war against the enemy of the Gibeonites. And when he steps down to that battle, the Lord begins to confuse the enemy and Joshua's winning this great victory. And this mighty man of valor is removing the enemy left and right. But then something shifted. The day started to expire and the night began to draw near. And Joshua needs God to do something and do it now. He can make a permanent victory happen, but it's going to take a miracle right now. And he said, listen, I'm going to ask God to do something that I've never heard of anybody asking God to do before. I'm going to ask God to perform a miracle that I've never seen God perform before. And he said, son, Stand thou still over the valley of Azalon. Moon, stand still. Everything stop. The Bible said that God never hearkened to the voice of a man before or since like he did that day with Joshua. Now when the sundial went back 10 degrees for King Hezekiah, that was an amazing miracle, but there were other examples. However, when Joshua called the sun to stand still for the earth to stop its rotation for just so long enough that he could continue waging war against the people of God, it never had happened before. And I thank God for testimonies. But I've come to preach to you tonight about miracles you've never heard anybody test about about before. I've come to declare that if you've never heard of anybody being healed of that disease, God can heal you of that disease. If you've never heard of anybody overcoming that addiction, God can help you overcome that addiction. If you've never heard of anybody getting a breakthrough over what you're facing, God can give you a breakthrough over what you're facing. Thank God for all of these experiences and examples that we have that we've heard of before. But God can do something you've never heard of before. When Elisha 
took that mantle of Elijah and he smote those waters and he said where is the Lord God of Elijah and those waters parted it was amazing but he had just seen it happen Elijah just did the same thing a little while before he parted the waters of Jordan Elisha saw it and it was a great miracle but it wasn't the first time those waters parted there's other testimonies in the word of God of those waters parting. Children of Israel come to the Jordan River. They're about to enter the promised land. They didn't know how they were going to get across the Jordan River, but Joshua said to the priest, go put your feet in the water. And those anointed priests of the Lord, holding on to the staves of the Ark of the Covenant, they put their feet in the water of the Jordan River. And the Bible says that the waters were cut off before the Ark of God. The waters could not stand under the power of the glory of God that was resident in that Ark, and they were cut off. And the children of Israel saw those waters part in two. But it wasn't the first time it happened. There's another example. Joshua remembered very well when his pastor Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness and now he's on his way to the promised land and it's part of the map but it just don't make any sense it's the Red Sea and they don't know how they're going to get across it and they're standing there with the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them and mountains on either side and the people are saying you know you, you don't know what you're doing Moses it'd be better off we went back to Egypt and Moses is saying who do you think I am you think I know everything that's going on here I don't know how to navigate all this but here's one thing I do know if we will stand still we will see the salvation of the Lord now Moses had no previous example or reference for what he was saying he didn't know if the ground was going to open up and they were going to go through a tunnel under the water. He didn't know if they was just going to be translated to the other side. He did not know what miracle was about to happen. But he just knew God is able to do exceeding abundant above all we can ask or think. He did not need an example. He did not need a previous experience. He just had a God that he knew was able. I want you to know that on that great getting up morning, when the saints shall rise and the roll is called up yonder, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. When you repent and you're baptized in Jesus' name, filled with his spirit, evidence of speaking in other tongues, you are baptized into the body. And if you've not done that, do it tonight. If you've never repented of your sins, repent tonight. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized tonight. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence speaking in tongues, I'm telling you, God wants to give you the Holy Ghost tonight more than you want it. We're baptized into the body. Romans 8 and 11. And if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I think my, my two sweet sisters are here tonight. And last week, last Monday, was nine years since our precious mama went on to be with the Lord. And we love to talk about her. But when we do, those conversations are not full of sorrow and sadness. Well, Brother Harvey, didn't you lose your mama? No, ain't lost nobody if you know where to find them. And I know right where to find her. When David lost his child, he said, he can't come back to me, but I can go right to where he's at. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we say it a lot at funerals, but I think we need to say it more in church. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall would have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know hear me young people that your labor is not in vain in the Lord let me tell you your worship's not in vain your sacrifice is not in vain your dedication's not in vain your commitment's not in vain your faithfulness is not in vain one day soon we're gonna get out of here and forever we will be with the Lord in glory it's not in vain it's not in vain and that's the most amazing miracle it's the center, it's the core of the whole gospel. But we know it's true because Jesus is our example. He's the first fruits of that very resurrection. Up from the grave he arose. He rose with healing in his wings. He came out triumphant over death and the grave. His disciples went down to see him and he wasn't there. And the angel said, why seek you the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen and he is alive forevermore. And they were absolutely amazed. The Bible says they were astonished. They forgot everything he said about destroy this temple. And in three days I'll raise it up. This spake he of his body. They forgot about the fact that no sign shall be given this generation except the prophet Jonah. Even as Jonah was in the belly of a well for three days and three nights. So shall the son of man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. They forgot all about the fact that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, and he was going to rise from the dead. They forgot about it. They were amazed when he rose from the dead. They were astonished when he rose from the dead. But they had other examples. Jesus was told, your friend is sick unto death. And Jesus let him die. When he said, hey, hey, our friend, he's just sleeping. He said, let's go see our friend who's sleeping. Uh, he waited four days after he was dead to show up. And when he got on the scene, Martha, Lazarus's sister, comes in and, and, and says, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. And Jesus said, your brother's going to live again. And she said, oh, I know he's going to live again in the resurrection. And Jesus said, oh, oh, so you're one of them people. You think the resurrection is a date on the calendar or a place in time or a thing that's going to happen one day. No, 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 no. The resurrection is a person, and I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he was dead, yet shall he live. But notice Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, she comes stumbling out of the house. Tears streak down her face. She falls at the feet of Jesus, and she says basically the same thing that her sister Martha said. You'd have been here. My brother would still be alive. But notice, she says it in a different posture. 
She's humble. She's sincere. She's brokenhearted. And she says, if you'd have been here, Lord, my brother would still be alive. And notice to her, he did not merely give a revelation as he did to Martha. But to her, he offered a demonstration. He said, show me where you have laid him. I want to tell you, young people, it matters how you approach God. It matters how you approach God. If you just come strolling up any way you want to, you might understand some things when the conversation is over, but if you will humble yourself and fall down at his feet and call out to him from the pain and sincerity of your heart, he will demonstrate his mighty power and glory in your life. It matters how you approach God. It matters. Show me where you've laid him. And they brought him to the place and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had been dead for four days came up out of that grave and everybody was astonished. They all marveled, but it wasn't the first time it happened. They had other examples for people being raised from the dead. Jesus stopped a funeral procession. The widow named son died and he stopped the whole funeral procession and he said, stop. Reached down inside that casket, brought that dead boy back to life. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, came to him and said, I need you to help me. My daughter's sick. She's nine to death. And Jesus began to walk to Jairus' house. And he's on the way. And while he's on the way, people are preventing him from passing through. Imagine how frustrating it must have been to Jairus. I mean, his daughter is sick. And time is ticking away. I need you to get there fast, Lord. But the people are too congested for Jesus to get through. And every time he moves... Somebody else is in his way, and he's trying his best to get him there. And the whole time, this little girl is nearly dying, and time is wasting away. It's got to happen quick, because once she dies, she's a corpse, and it would be unclean for him to touch her. Somebody finally came to Jairus and said, Hey, 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 boss, hey, hey, it's too late. Trouble not the master, because your daughter just died. Jairus' head slumps. But right about that time, he hears Jesus say, Who touched me? Who touched me? And when everybody eyes, everybody's eyes look to where Jesus is looking, the crowd clears, and here's a little lady with an issue of blood, and that means she's unclean. And she touched him. She touched the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, that would make him unclean. Except he's cleaner than any uncleanness he will ever encounter. It might make a normal man unclean, but it won't make this sinless man unclean. This sinless man is more pure than any impurity you can bring him tonight. This sinless man is more holy than any unholiness you can bring to him tonight. You hear me right now in the Holy Ghost. You haven't drifted so far that the love of God can't reach down to where you are. You haven't dropped so low that the love of God cannot reach down to where you are. You haven't been so bad that the love of God can't make you good because he's cleaner than you are unclean. 
He's purer than you are impure. He's holier than you are unholy. So bring him your sin and bring him your mistakes and repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and let him wash you in his blood and make you clean. And he looked at that lady with the issue of blood and he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Thy faith have made thee whole. And when Jairus realized that he was willing to overcome her uncleanness with his purity, then maybe he'll do the same thing for my daughter. So he said, Jesus, come on. Let's go to my house. And when Jesus walked down, they laughed him to scorn. So he sent the doubters out. You see, if you doubt, you get put out. I don't want to get put out. I want to be a believer. I want to be a believer. I want to believe that God can do anything in this house tonight. I want to believe that God can instantaneously heal and set free and deliver people in this house tonight before we leave this building. I want to believe God can do anything. And he raised that little girl from the dead. Little girl. Little girl, arise. He lifted her up and brought her out and showed her to her family, and it was an absolute miracle. But it's not the first time that somebody was raised from the dead in the Scripture. Elisha raised the son of the Shunammite woman back to life. Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son back to life. There were previous examples and testimonies of God raising people from the dead. But then God said to Abraham, Take now thy son, thy only son whom thou lovest, Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee as a burnt offering. And Abraham hears it, and he just goes into motion. He's like, all right, Isaac, let's go. Let's do it. Let's get the wood. Let's get the rope. we got to go offer a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so they gathered everything up, and Abraham don't even stagger. The Bible says he did not stagger at the promises of God. He's just gathering everything up and moving to where he needs to move. And Isaac's saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Abraham's like, I'll tell you when we get there. Once God tells me they're there, we're there. And finally God says, stop, that's it. You go on top of that mountain and there you offer Isaac as a burnt offering unto me. And Abraham says, all right, Isaac, let's go. Let's go, man. And he looks at his servants and he says, wait here. I and the lad go yonder. I and the lad go worship. I and the lad will return again. On the way up, Isaac starts getting a little curious, I'm sure, because he sees the wood and the knife and the rope and everything except for the lamb. Dad? Where's the lamb? I mean, I'm not the lamb, right? We're cool, right? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a burnt offering. And when they get to the top, Abraham lays the wood in order, gets it all set up. And Isaac, he says, all right, you lay down here, Isaac. Straps Isaac down to that altar. Now I want you to understand, Isaac was just as willing a participant in the obedience to God as Abraham was. Isaac could have easily resisted. But he's as obedient and faithful and believing as Abraham is. And he's strapped down to that altar. And Abraham's not hesitating. He grabs the knife. He sharpens it up, lifts it up, and he's about to bring it down. And the angel of the Lord says, Stop! I get it. I see. You fear God. You trust God. And behind him is a ram rustling in the thicket. And God had provided a substitute for Isaac. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Before Abraham was, I am. And that, brothers and sisters, was the day that Abraham saw the day of Christ. Because what the ram 
did for Isaac is what Jesus did for me and you. It was supposed to be me on that cross. It was supposed to be me wounded and bruised and smitten and afflicted. But he took my place. Abraham had no hesitation. There's no record of him being afraid. He's just like, we're going to go yonder and worship and we will come again. Everything's going to be all right. We can trust God. Hebrews 11 tells us how. It says that by faith when he was tried and was to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Look at verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. But he had no reference of a resurrection. No example of anybody that had ever been raised from the dead before that moment. Abraham never heard of anybody being raised from the dead. There's no first Kings, second Kings. There's no book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John written yet. He had never seen it. He had never heard about it. But he just knew. He just knew. He just knew. God is able to do things I've never seen him do before. It don't matter what I face. God is able to do anything. I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what your family's going through right now. But I've come to tell you that God we serve is able to do anything. God can do anything. He can do anything. We have examples. We have experiences. We ought to have hope. I got a couple in our church for four years. They were told, you can't have children. It's impossible. We've done everything we can. I'm sorry you'll never have children. Four years, that was the report. Today, they have four children of their own that can tell you God is able to say yes when the doctors say no. Some of you know my testimony. 2018, I was crossing a road in in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was in a crosswalk, had the right-of-way, distracted driver, hit me at 45 miles an hour, direct impact, hit my legs, threw me up in the windshield, slammed on brakes, threw me out in the middle of the intersection. Later, I talked to three witnesses by phone, and they said, man, we knew you were dead. With what we saw, we just knew we watched this guy die in front of us. Knocked me out. I woke up two hours later in the hospital. I didn't know why I was there. I didn't know where I was, what I was doing. Still don't to this day have any memory. The Lord has helped me. And that was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And that night about 9 o'clock, they pushed me out to the entrance of that hospital. And I walked out on my own two legs. There's no human reasoning of why I'm still alive. It's It's unbelievable how I don't have broken legs. I can't explain it. All I can tell you is God is able. God is able. God is able. God is able.